What is happening, New York Rangers fans? And welcome to episode 107 of the new Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and I am coming to you, unfortunately, from indoors because it is absolutely gorgeous outside today on Wednesday, April 12th. As we joked around with Gerard Gallant about following Wednesday's practice, it feels like playoff weather, and the playoffs are almost here. We're going to get into all that in just a moment. I want to first start by thanking this week's intro track submittee or person who submitted. I think I made up that word submittee, but this week's track came from Liam Maroney. I want to make sure that I plug Liam's band, Back When, which is actually spelled B-A-Q-U-E-N-N-E. If you want to look them up, really appreciate Liam submitting that track. Definitely gives me some Black Keys vibes, and I'm a Black Keys fan. I've seen them live before and, and definitely feeling those vibes from that track. So thank you, thank you, thank you to Liam. We've got more to come. We're probably going to get through the whole playoffs, I think, with a new intro track for each podcast. So we're going to keep rolling with those. We're also going to keep rolling with our guests. This week's guest is Dan Rosen of NHL.com. You guys have heard Dan on the show before, one of my favorite guys when I'm looking for someone who can sort of talk about the whole league. And so you're going to hear Dan and I get into a lot of different stuff, including the potential playoff opponents for the Rangers, which at the moment we don't have clarity on. We will know by the end of the night on Thursday. But in the meantime, here's the deal. The Rangers are locked in to third place in the Metro division. The Hurricanes and the Devils both won on Tuesday, so now the Rangers cannot catch them. We know they're going to be third place in the Metro Division, which means they will be opening the first round on the road. They did not get home ice advantage, but quite frankly, I don't think they cared a whole lot about that. To a man, pretty much everybody that we've asked about that in the last week or two, has said, hey, you know, it would be nice, but it's really not the end of the world. That message was definitely what we were getting from Gallant every time that that topic came up. And I thought Philip Heedle put it perfectly after their game on Monday when he said, if we want to win the Stanley Cup, we have to beat teams anywhere at any time. And quite frankly, that's the truth. I don't think that home ice advantage is a make-or-break thing for the Rangers, especially if you're talking about a potential series with the Devils where we know the proximity is super close, won't require much travel beyond getting over the George Washington Bridge or Tappan Zee if you want to go that way, but more likely George Washington Bridge or one of the tunnels. And we know how much Rangers fans will fill up that building in Newark. You can also say the same thing about Carolina. I was reminded by someone I was having this conversation with earlier today that Think back to Game 7 last year in the second round when the Rangers beat the Hurricanes in Carolina. That building was so loud and so blue and so filled with Rangers fans that as far as crowd noise and all that kind of stuff, the Rangers fans travel so well, especially in a place like Newark, and they also seem to have a really good presence in Raleigh, that I don't see that as a huge deal it's probably a more annoyance for just the, the travel purposes and, and that sort of thing if you have to fly back and forth to Carolina. But 
it wasn't the type of thing where the Rangers were going to put all their eggs into that basket or risk anything unnecessary to try to make it happen. It is what it is. You want to win the Stanley Cup, you're going to have to win in all places and all locations. And that is certainly the mindset that we get from the Rangers. So even though they have been winning at a fairly high clip in recent weeks, it was never a top, top priority, I don't think, for them to chase the division. Once they clinched their playoff spot, the sense that I got was, okay, now we're just gearing up for the playoffs. We don't really care so much who we play or where we play. We just want to be in top form and healthy and ready to go once the playoffs start. So Rangers are locked into third place, won't have home ice advantage. Now what we're waiting to find out is who will they play in the first round. It's either going to be Carolina or Jersey. As I mentioned, both teams won Tuesday, so that leaves only one point separating them going into Thursday. Both teams will play their final regular season game on Thursday. The Canes play the Florida Panthers, who also clinched a playoff spot on Tuesday night. And the Devils will play the Washington Capitals. The Canes control their own destiny. They're in the driver's seat. They are one point ahead of the Devils. So if they win or if the Devils lose, Carolina will clinch the division title and the Rangers will play the Devils in the first round. But there is a scenario or multiple scenarios where the Devils could pass Carolina. That would happen if they win and Carolina loses, or if the Devils get one point in an overtime loss or a shootout loss and Carolina loses outright, then the Devils will be tied with them, but they have the tiebreaker. So based on regulation wins, the Devils would win the division and the Hurricanes would come in second. So if that happens then the Rangers could be heading to Carolina. It's unexpected. It feels like for months we've been anticipating Devils versus Rangers. But now there is a scenario or multiple scenarios where we could end up seeing Rangers versus Hurricanes in the first round. It's still slightly more probable that it's going to be Rangers and Devils in the first round, but the door is very much open for that to flop and then the Rangers end up playing Carolina in the first round. One thing that I would keep my eye on, and by the time this podcast comes out, we'll know the answer to this. The Islanders are playing the Canadians on Wednesday night. The Islanders have a playoff spot on the line. If they get at least one point, they clinch a playoff spot. But that game will also have ripple effects for the Florida Panthers, who again are playing the Hurricanes on Thursday. If the Islanders get one point or outright lose, then that would lock the Panthers into the seventh seed of the playoffs. But if the Islanders get two points with a win, then Florida will be looking at a scenario where if they beat the Hurricanes on Thursday, then they get the seventh seed, therefore avoid the number one seed Boston Bruins. But if they lose to the Hurricanes, then they would be stuck playing the Bruins, who just set an NHL record for most points in a season. So you would think, from the Panthers' perspective, if their game against Carolina on Thursday is going to determine whether they get the seven or the eight seed, then they're going to have some motivation. They're going to have something to play for. I don't think anybody wants to see the Boston Bruins in the first round of the playoffs. But 
if the Islanders lose, then you're looking at a scenario where the Panthers know that their opponent is going to be whoever wins the Metro, and then you think they would probably take their foot off the gas pedal, not really have much to play for. And they've been go, go, go for the last few weeks trying to get themselves into the playoffs that I'm sure they would like the opportunity to maybe not have to go all out and maybe give their guys a little rest in that final game. So again, that Islanders game, if the Islanders either get a point or no points, Florida clinches the seventh seed. Florida doesn't have much to play for. But if the Islanders win, then you would think that Florida is going to try harder to beat the Hurricanes. So that's something that I've kind of been thinking about and I think could end up helping determine who the Rangers end up playing in the first round. Now, who is the preferred opponent for the Rangers? Is it better for them to play Carolina or is it better for them to play New Jersey? We're going to talk to Dan a bunch about that, so I'm not going to dive too deep into that topic right here. But I will tell you this. Most of the people that I've inquired with about this in the last few days, not saying Rangers players, but various sources and various people around the league, everyone seems to think that the Rangers would have a better chance against Carolina than they would against Jersey. The Devils are viewed by most people as the more dangerous team because of all the speed and skill and talent that they have. Even though they're much less experienced than the Hurricanes, the Rangers have proven they can beat the Hurricanes. They've won the season series against the Hurricanes this year. They beat them in seven games in the playoffs last year. The Hurricanes are missing some key players, whereas the Devils have given the Rangers some trouble. The Rangers lost three out of four against the Devils this year, and the Devils, again, are a real up-and-coming team. So it sounds to me like the consensus around the league is that the Rangers might be better off playing the Hurricanes in the first round. But as I've told you guys before, I think either opponent, the Rangers will enter that series as the favorite. Even though they don't have home ice, they're still going to be looked at as the better team against either one of those opponents. So for me, I think Devils would be fun, personally. More storylines there. It's a a long-time rivalry. This would be the seventh time that they've met in a playoff series, but first time since 2012. And obviously, selfishly, it would be less travel for me. So that would be kind of cool. But either way, it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be a good series. I believe Rangers should probably feel good about their chances in either situation. Again, we'll talk to Dan more about that in a few minutes. As for the Rangers themselves, where they stand with the playoffs so close, Everything is kind of settled, not just their position in the standings, but as far as their roster and their lineup and all that, the forward lines are in place. We saw it again at practice on Wednesday, and I would be shocked if this isn't the way that the Rangers roll into the playoffs. You're going to have Kreider, Zabanajad, and Patrick Kane on one line. You're going to have Panarin, Trocek, and Vladimir Tarasenko on the other line. That is the top six right now. The bottom six, we know that's not changing. The kid line, and then that fourth line of VC, Goudreau, and Mott. So that is, I'm quite sure, how it's going to look for game one, whether that's on Monday or Tuesday next week. The D pairs, we know they're in place. Ryan Lindgren is upright. He's made it through the last few games since he returned from that injury. He seems to be feeling pretty good and playing pretty well. And he avoided a scare when he took a puck off the face at the end of that game on Monday against the Buffalo Sabres. He said it grazed him. It looked like it hit him a little more cleanly than that, but 
a little cut, a little bruise is not going to stop that guy. We know that. So Lindgren's fine. He's ready to roll. And probably the most important development that we've seen from the Rangers in recent weeks and really the last couple months is that Igor Shesterkin looks awfully sharp right now. I, I crunched these numbers myself as I was working on a story this week. I figured out his save percentage since the season started turning around. I dated it back to February 26th. That was when this hot streak from him started. That's a span of 16 starts now, so not a small sample size. It's about almost two months we're talking about. In these last 16 starts, he's posted a 937 save percentage. He has been awesome for an extended period of time right now, and that is great, great news for the Rangers. The reason I was looking at these numbers from Igor, and the last thing I want to touch on before we get to our interview with Dan, is because I was working on what we've done for a few years in a row now, which is rank the most valuable players for the Rangers based on what we saw in the regular season. This is something the team asked the reporters to do every year. They ask us to submit our top three, but I like to take it a step further and do the top 10 most valuable players on the team during the regular season. I look at all kinds of stuff, obviously points and some traditional stats, definitely some analytics, definitely eye test stuff because I watch pretty much every single one of these games. So I like to take all of that into account. But on top of that, I look at roles. I look at situational usage. Is a guy in the power play? Is he on the PK? How many minutes is he playing? How many games did he play? What situations do the team does the team lean on that particular player in? All those things are factored into these rankings. And my choice for number one, which also ended up being the consensus among all the reporters who was officially named as the team MVP on Wednesday, was Mika Zabanajad. To me, the more that I thought about it, the more he felt like an obvious choice. For me, I always prefer two-way guys, guys that contribute in all situations. And Mika epitomizes that. He has been one of the, if not the top driver of offense on this team all season long. It's him and Artemi Panarin. Mika hit 90 points the other night for the first time in his career. And interestingly enough, with him and Panarin both hitting 90 points in that game on Monday, now the Rangers have two 90-point guys in their lineup for the first time in over 30 years. The last time that happened was 1991-92 when Mark Messier and Brian Leach did it. You guys might have heard of them before. So pretty elite company that Panarin and Zibanejad find themselves in, but where I think Mika separates himself is the defensive side of things, is the PK side of things. If you were to pull the players in the Rangers locker room, about who the best defensive forward on the team is, I'm pretty sure that almost everybody would pick Mika. The analytics don't jump off the page at you when you look at his defensive metrics. They're solid, not great. But I think if you watch this guy play night in and night out, and I wrote a whole big story about this during the season. I know I've talked about it on the podcast before. But with the way that he skates and eats up ice with those big, long strides and back checks his butt off and works so hard in the defensive zone, and to me has become one of the better guys in the NHL at picking guys' pockets and creating takeaways that then get a rush going the other way for the Rangers. Mika makes so many pivotal defensive plays for this team that jump out to you on a nightly basis that it's hard to dispute 
that his all-around impact isn't the best on the team. My second choice, the guy that I ranked second, was Adam Fox, who earlier in the season at the midway point, I said I thought was the team's halfway MVP. He's trailed off in the second half. The, the points have definitely taken a dip. He was up at you know the midway point right around a point per game, and he ends up finishing you know pretty low under that. I think his last 38 games, he's got like 27 points, which is still very good production for a defenseman, but it's not the pace that Fox was at earlier in the season. And we also know that when Ryan Lindgren came out of the lineup, there seemed to be a dip in play for Fox as well. I thought at one point, he was one of the front runners for the Norris Trophy. I certainly don't think he's going to win that award now, but still an outstanding season for him. I ranked him number two. And third, I had to give strong consideration to Panarin. Panarin on pretty much any other team, I think would be one of the top three most valuable players. But because of the way that Igor has carried the team in the last couple months, especially post-trade deadline when we've seen them kind of going through some growing pains, and I think he's covered up a lot of their blemishes. He is undoubtedly the most important player on the team, and I think that the finish that he had in this last couple months of the season, to me, made him a guy that I had to put on the top three. Then I ranked Panarin four, obviously. He was a pretty obvious choice. And fifth, you got to give your due to Chris Kreider. Chris Kreider is a guy who didn't match the goal-scoring production that he had last year when he scored 52. But he's sitting on 36 right now, which is still a very, very good number, the second-best total of his career. We know about the net front presence. You you look at high-danger scoring chances, all the different sites that, that track that kind of stuff. He's always one of the top guys in the NHL. You know he's great at getting himself into prime scoring position. But the defensive metrics, he ranks by a lot of different measures – as one of the best defensive forwards on the Rangers, it's really him and Jimmy Vesey who have the best analytics when you look at the defensive numbers. So Kreider has really become an underrated defensive player in my mind too. He's become a go-to penalty killer. So that was my top five. I expanded the list beyond that, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You can go to loha.com slash sports slash Rangers to see that full story. It's got a lot of details and cool stats and stuff like that on each one of those guys. I find it a fun way to sum up the season and also give each player their due and really go into what makes them valuable for the Rangers. It was a really hard choice. Even the top 10, you'll see there were guys that I would have ranked 11, 12, 13, who were very important to the Rangers this year as well. So fun list to do for sure. And I hope you guys get a chance to check that one out. So with that, I am going to shift gears and get to our interview with Dan Rosen And once that's over, I'll be back to answer some of your Twitter questions. Now let's welcome back into the show a friend of the program, a guy that I see quite frequently throughout the season and I'm probably about to spend a lot more time with in the coming weeks. That would be Dan Rosen of NHL.com. I was just joking with Dan that my plan for this week's episode was if the Rangers were going to play the Devils in the playoffs, I would have a Devils reporter on. If the Rangers were going to play the Hurricanes, I would have a Carolina reporter on. But since we still don't have clarity at the time of this recording, I thought of who could talk about both teams, who could give us some league-wide perspective, and Dan was the first guy who came to mind. So, Dan, thank you for kind of being a a guy who could do it all for me today. I appreciate it. You go to the bullpen. That's fine. I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been a while, too, since we've had you on. So I'm excited to kind of dive into some stuff with you here. But let's start with what's most prevalent on Rangers fans' mind right now. 
And that's, it could be either team, could be Devils, could be Hurricanes. You know, the Canes go into Thursday night with a one-point lead, so you think maybe they have a slight advantage, but the Devils have the tiebreaker. So if the Canes trip up at all, if they don't win that game outright, then it, it could be an issue for them. So yeah. as far as the matchup perspective, from the Rangers' perspective, does either strike you as a preferable opponent, or or how do you size that up? Yes, the Carolina Hurricanes strike me as a much more favorable opponent for the Rangers than than the New Jersey Devils. And what's interesting about it, Vince, to me, is that Carolina's got all the playoff experience. The Devils don't. They have some guys with playoff experience. I mean, Andre Pallad has had a ton of playoff experience with the Tampa Bay Lightning. So you'd think to yourself, like, well, you want to play the team that has less playoff experience. But the Rangers match up better against Carolina. They played better against Carolina. Uh, they, they, they played Carolina in the playoffs. They have, you know, an understanding of what they're to expect from the Carolina hurricanes and how to beat them. Whereas the devils are the, a little, they're a little bit of the unknown because to me, I'm still wondering which devil's team is going to show up in the playoffs. You've got the team that can just be fast attack mode all the time. Naive of the situation doesn't matter to them. Just go, 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 go. Or because of the magnitude of it, is that a team that's going to tighten up a little bit and not play the hockey that they've played all season? I don't know. I think it's going to be the former. I think it's going to be the team that's more naive and doesn't care because they know what works for them too. And to me, that's a little scary from the Rangers' perspective. You know, they they've struggled with it. Every team struggles with the devil's speed. Every team struggles with that attack mode mentality that they have. Whereas Carolina is just a better matchup. It's a better fit. So I think the Rangers should be hoping, whereas everybody in this market is probably like, oh, Devils Rangers would be great. I do think the Rangers should want Carolina. You can't pick it. I get it, and they'll never say it. But if you look at the matchups and where they match up better, to me, it's a, it's against Carolina. So I, I want to get your thoughts on this, and, and I feel like I can kind of sense where you're going with it. But the Canes lose Svechnikov. They never really had Pacioretty for much time at all. Does that lack of offensive firepower, does that make them more vulnerable in your eyes? Or do you see that Rod Brindamore system, which they seem to plug in new guys all the time and it always seems to keep working. I mean, does the system cover up those losses or or do you see those losses as a big deal for them? Well, I think it's a really big deal. And and, and here's why. Like you lose one guy you can kind of figure it out, you know, around it. And that's, that was Pacioretty and they've had to be a team that figured it out all season. Cause he's only, he's only played what four or five games, but Svechnikov, even though he's not their leading scorer, he is a power forward guy. He is a guy that everybody has to watch for when he's on the ice. He is a game breaking type player. I talked to Rod Brendamore earlier, earlier this season before their outdoor game. And I said, who's the best player in Carolina hurricanes history. And he said, well, it's going to be Svech. Not yet, but wow. it's going to be right. Wow. And so that's how highly he's thought of there. And without him, since they've lost him, they're a 500 team, I think seven, seven and two or seven, seven and one. And they're scoring two and a half goals per game. Like it's not going to get it done. They're already a team that doesn't have that big horse, right? The Rangers have a number of, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. Mika, Kreider, Kane, Tarasenko, you know, Troja. I mean, they have a number of Panarin, right? I mean, they have a number of big guys that can score the big goal. Carolina doesn't have as many. Ajo can do it. Natchez can do it, uh, but they don't have as many. And then you take one away, patch ready. Okay. You can survive. Take two away. 
Svechnikov, it's going to be really hard. And you, we're seeing it from them. Like, we're seeing how it's really been difficult for them to score goals. And two and a half, that's not going to get it done because they're not going to be able on a regular basis in a playoff series to hold the Rangers to under three goals per game. I just don't see it happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Actually, thinking back to last year's series with the Rangers and the Hurricanes, I thought Svechnikov struggled and didn't give them everything they were probably hoping to get from him in that series, and that hurt them. Ultimately, they end up losing the series in seven games. You get a better performance from him, maybe it's different. But yeah, he is is a huge difference maker for them. So with the Devils, you touched on this as well. Super young, super skilled, super fast. Any Is that the main takeaway from this breakout season that they've had? Like when you assess what they've done and how – far they've come from where they were last year what pops into your mind is it just how they've assembled all this young talent and how quickly they've gelled or are are there other things about this team that that you would look at especially heading into a playoff series well we knew they had the young talent right I mean that was the thing we saw the young talent on the second half of last season too you knew it was there you know with Hughes and Mercer and Heeshear and and, on all these guys and and it was just a matter of how quickly could they do it and you you talk to the people around the Devils they weren't expecting this they were expecting another you know, battling for maybe a Buffalo type season, you know, Mm -hmm. like, you know, battling for it, hopefully playing meaningful games, you know, come April and, you know, into the last week of the season, but not quite ready for it. They're a year ahead of schedule. There's no question about it. And it is, it's their speed. uh, and, And it's, it's just how quickly, like the thing I love about the devils is they will turn you over and you're like, you know, in the D zone, in their D zone at their blue line, they will turn you over, and a lot of teams will will turn the puck over there, and they'll look up, and they'll bank a pass up the boards, or they'll go back, recoil, set it up. The Devils just go. Like, they're just gone. They're out of the zone. They're like, let's go. And it's hard to match up against when they do it. Now, they're vulnerable if they do it the wrong way, you know, so that happens too. But you're getting unbelievable seasons out of Hughes, Heeshee, or Hamilton, right? I mean, like, these guys are having their best seasons and a mercer like it's all happening at the same time for the devils and that and that's and the big question for them was the goaltending and we thought it might be blackwood with vanacek as the backup instead it's the other way around and they were able to address that without going crazy in the offseason and it's worked for them so and i also think i questioned it i wasn't alone when they hired lindy ruff like it was like really i mean they couldn't do any better for this team and not not to knock Lindy Ruff, he's been a terrific head coach in the league for a long time. But you like you know wondered if his time as a head coach was over. But he came in, and the idea was to have him come in and coach this young group up as sort of a father figure to kind of help them help them along. And at, la- at the end of last season, I'm wondering, all right, is this this can't last. And they bring in Andrew Brunette, and you're you're looking at Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes is saying, you know, I love Lindy. Of course he does. He can do whatever he wants, right? <laughs> that, like, why wouldn't he, right? <laughs> But it's worked. And, and that's the thing. Like it, all of that father figuring here has worked. And this team is really everybody has gelled at the same time. And they're they're arguably the most fun team to watch in the league. And so I'm really curious to see what they can do in the playoffs. And there was that lull that they hit a, about a couple of weeks ago. And you're wondering, like, are they getting tired? Are they running out of steam? Is Vanacek running out of steam? And they found it again. They're going to be a problem for, for years to come. Yeah. The, the speed and, and their transition game and the way that they jump on turnovers, the Rangers we know have had issues this year with those giveaways. You can look at guys like Panarin through the neutral zone, how they make some of those high-risk passes that we know drive Gerard Gallant crazy. So it seems like from that perspective, 
the Rangers could be vulnerable against them. But with the goaltending advantage that they have, I, I wrote about this this week, Igor in his last 16 starts, his save percentage is like almost 940. So he's obviously hit his stride and the experience that the Rangers have. I, I still feel like the Rangers would have to be the favorite in that series as long as they could keep the turnovers at a manageable number. But it, it does feel like a potentially scary matchup if all of a sudden the Devils get get rolling and get some confidence because yeah. then then they could skyrocket. So looking at the Rangers now, what do you like about this team? I'll be kind of general. Uh, and is there anything that concerns you? Because you could look at every position and say they've got stars here, they've got stars there. So there doesn't seem to be a glaring weakness, but they're going to finish third in the division. The, the regular season isn't going to finish with quite as many points as they had last year. I mean, how do you size up these Rangers when you look at them heading into the playoffs? Well, I think you said it too. Like their biggest strength is their ability to make plays and skate and get through and have offense and um, make those passes that not many other teams can make and, and do it. It could also be their biggest weakness. Like that, their biggest strength could be their biggest, you know, at least in terms of the skating group, their biggest strength could be their biggest weakness. But I like, I don't see a flaw. I don't see a major flaw. I don't see a weakness. Like you said, I, I they addressed a lot. Like there, we know there was a weakness on the fourth line. We know there was a weakness in right wing in the top six. And now you look at it with Kane and Tarasenko in the top six and with, with VC Goudreau and Mott on the fourth line, that they're, they're, they're as good one through 12 as any team in the league. You look at the back end, right? I mean, they're solid. You know, their top four is as good as any top four in the league. And I, and I think, you know, Schneider and Mikola or Schneider and Harper, whoever it might be, solid third pair. And like you said, Shesterkin, we, we talked a lot, like, and you've done it, I've done it, talk a lot, write a lot about how the comfort level, getting these new guys in, getting them accustomed, using these last 20 to 22 games is sort of like that that way to get the feel and get everything ironed out, the lines ironed out, the comfort level within the top six and all that. And that was easily what what appeared to be the most important thing for the Rangers going into the playoffs. It's second to Shesterkin. Yep. Shesterkin finding his game the way he has in the last quarter of the season is the most important thing for the Rangers. Because, I mean, let's face it, he, he was okay in the first three quarters of the season. He Okay for him by his standards that he set last season – it's not good enough, right? I mean, it's better than a lot of goalies, but not good enough for him and not good enough for what the way this team in particular relies on him. And now he's way now he now he's been great, you know. Yeah. And, and that is such a huge thing. They know they can play their game now because that guy behind them is making the saves and, and bailing them out when needed. And that's part of their game. They need the goalie to bail them out sometimes. And think about what a momentum changer it could be when we talk about the Devils. If they get one of those odd man rushers or one of those breakaways yep. and Igor makes a big save, well, all of a sudden now, you know, that can change the whole outcome of the game. So, yeah, he is by far their biggest X factor, just as he was last year. So last thing I want to kind of get you out on is more of a of a full perspective. We talked about the Rangers, how good they look on paper, how things seem to be kind of falling in place for them. How do they stack up to you in the East. Obviously, Boston has had a historic season. They're going to be the favorite in any series that they play. But we know this Eastern Conference is loaded. So look at Rangers, look at Bruins, all the other teams that we know could be threats. Like, how do you size up the East as we get ready for these playoffs to start? See, I think the Rangers are right there. 
I really do. I think that they can go ahead. I, I think that they can beat anybody in the East. Uh, I really do. Like, and and Boston's the team. Obviously, we know that. But if you look at the way the Rangers can match up, you know, like we just like I just talked about with their forward group, their D, and their goaltending, they're solid all the way through. And it's it would obviously be a chore. The biggest question for me, and if you if you we're actually doing this for our Super Sixteen, which runs on Thursday, is you know, it, for each team, we're writing about. Could they beat the Bruins in the playoffs? <laughs> and, and for me, I'm, I wrote about the Rangers, and, and the biggest thing was those turnovers, right? And because the Bruins have a way of maybe you don't, maybe it's unforced, maybe it's forced turnover, whatever it is, but they will create those into scoring chances almost every single time. And, and can you withstand that constant pressure on you to be perfect? Because you can't be perfect, but you can't play safe, right? I mean, it's, it's so it's finding that balance and. I think the Rangers match up well against any team in the East. I really do. And I wouldn't be surprised if they came out of it, to be honest with you. But again, if they went up against, I also wouldn't be surprised if they lost in the first round. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's that way because of the matchups are harder. I, I'll be, well, let me say this. I would be surprised if they lost to Carolina in the first round. If they played Carolina, I would be surprised based on what I've seen from Carolina here in the last quarter of the season from from the lack of goal scoring, the lack of overall team speed. Uh they'll forecheck you and grind you and make it really hard, but I just don't think that they could outscore the Rangers and that's going to be a problem. But I wouldn't be surprised if they lost New Jersey in the first round because of the way that the Devils do play. But I think they I really do. I think the Rangers can stack up well in the East and can beat any team that they play if they they limit turnovers, but don't play it safe. Do you do you see the Rangers as the biggest threat to Boston? Um, I yes. Uh, if look, I mean, we know Tampa Bay exists, right? Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but they haven't played very well of late. Like they, they well, they I shouldn't say it. they haven't been winning of late. Okay, they haven't played poorly, but they haven't been winning. But they are the one team in the entire NHL that we know can flip that switch. They can they can do it. It's yep. very hard to do, but they've done it and they can do it and they can continue to do it. So if they get by Toronto and Boston gets by whoever they play, Tampa Bay is the biggest challenge for the Bruins. To me, no, no question about it. I think Boston takes care of Toronto if it is Toronto. Um, I think they take care of the Islanders or Florida, whoever it is in there that they play in the first round. But Tampa Bay would be the only other team that I would say I think that is the biggest challenge to the Bruins other than the Rangers, just simply because we know what they are capable of in the playoffs. All right. All right. It's going to be fun, man. This is going to be real. Like you said, nothing that happens in the next few weeks would surprise me. So it's going to be fun. Well, Boston losing in the first round would surprise me. That, all right, yeah, that, that would classify <laughs> as a surprise. That, yeah. that's, that's probably about it. That's about it. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. about it. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. I'll see you soon, all right? All right. Thanks a lot, Vince. And we're back. Thanks to Dan for taking a little time and what I know is a very busy time of year for him and for all of us. So I appreciate that. Always a very interesting conversation with him. And I love that I could throw any team, any topic his way, and you know that he follows it and, and he's well-versed in it and he can give you some good insight. Interestingly, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, he's another one of those people that I've talked to that seems to think the Rangers should be rooting for the Devils to win the division and rooting for Carolina to be their first-round opponent. 
We'll see if it plays out that way. I think, again, I wouldn't get too caught up in who it's going to be. For this tri-state area, I think it would be really fun if it was the Devils, and I still would like the Rangers' chances in that series. But I get what Dan is saying, and I think if you're talking about which team you feel more confident against, there are a lot of reasons to say that the Hurricanes would be the preferred opponent for the Rangers. I definitely think if I had a place of vote as far as if I was a player on the team or something like that, not that they would ever talk about this or admit it, but Carolina, they would maybe feel a little more comfortable against for all the reasons that we talked about with Dan. Okay, let's get to the first question of the week, which comes from Thomas Catapano, who wrote, which players will be included on the playoff taxi squad? It's a good question. It's actually one that popped into my head randomly as I was getting ready this morning. I guess I'm just in that mindset where my mind is racing and I'm constantly thinking about the Rangers. But it's not technically a taxi squad or it's not called a taxi squad, I don't think, anymore. That was more of a COVID thing. But there is no limit to how many players you can have on your playoff roster. So the Rangers, we know because of how constricted they've been by the salary cap since the Patrick Kane trade, have been rolling with a 21-man roster. They will certainly have the opportunity to add to that and give them more extra bodies once the playoffs begin. What I'm interested to find out, now obviously the NHL roster is always going to take priority, but the Hartford Wolfpack, which is the Rangers AHL affiliate, made the American League playoffs. So you want to kind of reward those guys. They worked really hard after a slow start to the season to come back, and they played really well in the last couple months and fought their way into playoff contention. I know that was a goal for the organization. So how many guys do you want to strip from that roster knowing that in the event of an injury or, or something that might happen, you can always recall a guy at any time? So the question is going to be how many recalls do the Rangers make right off the bat? The first guy who comes to mind is Johnny Brodzinski. And if you look at the stats for Hartford, Brodzinski has been – Arguably their MVP. I think a lot of people would tell you he probably has been their MVP. He's also their team captain. He leads the team with 48 points this season, and he's done that in only 46 games because, remember, he spent a lot of time with the Rangers. So he's over a point per game. That's a way better pace than anybody else on the team. And Brodzinski, with his speed, with his ability to play multiple forward positions, I think he would probably be first in line in the event of an injury. Remember, the Rangers are only carrying 12 forwards right now. So they're definitely going to need to add some kind of a forward as an insurance. Who would be the 13th guy? Who would be the guy that's most likely to get plugged in if anybody gets hurt? My hunch is that it would be Johnny Brodzinski. Again, though, going back to that initial question of Hartford and wanting to reward them for making the playoffs— do you want to strip them of their team captain right off the bat? You probably don't feel great about doing that, but at the same time, Brodzinski is viewed, I believe, as the best option if they needed a guy who they felt comfortable inserting into a playoff game, and so he would be at the top of my list. The next forwards in line after that, I think they would probably look at either Will Cooley, 
who actually ranks second for the Wolf Pack with 44 points this season, albeit in, in many more games. He's played 67 games, and he brings that heavy style of play, that gritty style of play. He's a big body who you feel like could hold up to the physicality of a playoff game, and the Rangers did give him a little taste this year. He's one of their better prospects on the Hartford roster. So Cooley is a guy that maybe in the right situation they might look at, especially if it was a left wing that they needed because that is his natural position. But the other guy who comes to mind is Ryan Carpenter. He's another one who can play center, can play right wing. He's a little versatile for you, and he's been really successful with Hartford. He's second as far as points per game when you look at the Wolfpack roster behind Brodzinski, and he's been solid for them. So I think Carpenter would probably be in that mix as well. I would probably rank them Brodzinski number one if you're looking at forwards, and then depending on the need, whether it's a left wing or a center, it would be, I think, either Cooley or Ryan Carpenter. Carpenter's also a guy that has a little bit of playoff experience under his belt. As far as the defenseman, The Rangers already have a seventh defenseman on the roster in Ben Harper, and so I do believe that in the event of an injury to any of their defensemen, that Ben Harper would be the guy who gets inserted into the lineup. So I think you already know who the number one backup is on defense, but if they want to add another guy there, could it be Libor Hayek? Could it be Zach Jones? I'm sure Zach Jones would be the more exciting choice for fans. He's had a pretty solid season since he got sent down to Hartford after a slow start with the Rangers when they gave him an opportunity at a training camp. He's got 31 points in 52 games. So he would be maybe the choice, but I also question how much they would trust him in a playoff game as a smaller guy who has questions about his defense and questions about how he holds up to physicality. The Rangers might lean more towards Hayek. I I don't know, but again... If there's any injury, Harper's going to be the first guy in line. So the chances that you get to that eighth defenseman, that would take multiple injuries. And if that happens, then that's not a great situation for the Rangers. But probably if they look to recall another defenseman, it would be Jones or Lieber Hayek. So that that's it. But, you know, again, I think adding a forward is kind of a must. I think you definitely want to have a 13th forward around. And I think Johnny Brodzinski deserves to be that guy, but I wonder if the Rangers are going to want to get up to 23 or 24 men or they can do as many as they want, or if they want to kind of let those guys stay in Hartford and then recall them if needed to give the Wolfpack the best chance to have some playoff success. We'll have to wait and see on that. All right. Next question comes from George who wrote, which player that wasn't on the team last year do you think has performed best? There's a few guys you could look at. If you look at the trade deadline acquisitions, I think Vladimir Tarasenko has been the most impactful guy. He's been really good. The points aren't outrageous, but you look at his overall game, and I've mentioned this before, this guy's competing really hard. He's back-checking hard. He's trying pretty hard on defense. He's not the strongest defensive player, but he's a guy that I think is certainly putting in the effort to play that two-way game. And this is something, at least watching him from afar when he was in St. Louis, I don't think I gave him enough credit for. He's a strong dude. You watch him go into a corner with somebody, a lot of times the the opposing guys are bouncing off of him. He's in really good shape. He's not 
afraid to get engaged in those physical situations. And I think that that could be a real asset for the Rangers in the playoffs as well. He's a guy that will get into the corners or go fight for a loose puck or get to the front of the net. Obviously, you want him in shooting position with that high-end wrist shot that he has. That That's one of the main reasons that they brought him here, to be a scorer. But there's other elements to his game that I think could play well in the playoffs and have looked pretty good in his short stint with the Rangers. But as I wrote for the rankings that I did, I lean more towards, when you're talking about who made the biggest impact for the team, I lean more toward the guys that have been here all season. And an underrated guy that I would at least like to mention here is Jimmy Vesey. I think of the guys that weren't on the team last year, he's been one of the most pleasant surprises, and he's really solidified himself. When I was looking at the rankings, there was a case you could make to put him in the top 10. I didn't do it. I think he's more like 12th or 13th or something like that. But analytically, the guy has great numbers. He has the best expected goals rate of anybody on the team, and he's been a great find for them bringing him back and reviving his career here. So I would I would definitely tip my cap to Jimmy Vesey. But which player that wasn't on last year's team has performed the best? I think the answer is pretty obvious, and it's got to be Vincent Trocek. I ranked him sixth on those rankings. There even could have been a little bit of a case to put him fifth, but I, I had him sixth, and We all know, we've talked about this before, that the start here wasn't quite what you wanted. He didn't come firing right out of the gate. There were some early growing pains as far as him working on the same line with Artemi Panarin. But that narrative has quieted quite a bit in the last few months because those two actually have played much better together. And you look at some of the underlying numbers, it's all positive. Their shot share when they're on the ice together is like 55%, which is pretty good. Very good, actually. And his second half of the season, he's been almost a point-per-game player. He has really taken off. He's looked much more comfortable. You see all the different elements that he brings. He's the best face-off guy on this roster. He's winning over 56% of his face-offs, which could be huge for them in the playoffs. I think he's always going to be the preferred option if there's a big draw situation for the Rangers. But he's also really shifty. He's a solid defensive player. He's been one of their top six penalty-killing forwards, and he ranks fourth on the team in total points. You look at the big three of Zabanajad, Panarin, and Fox, but the guy who ranks fourth in points on this team is Vincent Trocek. He's got 63 points heading into the final game of the regular season, and for your second-line center to have that many points and contribute in all these other areas that I've mentioned— I think you got to feel really good about what you've gotten from Trocheck in this first season. It hasn't been perfect, and we don't know at all how that contract is going to age with the Rangers giving him a seven-year deal. But for what they wanted to get out of him this year, and I think what he brings as far as a playoff skill set, he's one of those guys that will mix it up and has some speed and has some grit and has some of those elements that you want in your playoff lineup. I think Trocek has been a really good addition to this Rangers lineup this year. And to get back to George's question of which guy that wasn't on the team last year has been the best for the team this year, to me, Trocek is a pretty obvious answer. All right, let's get to the final question of the week. And this is actually something that somebody sent me last week. And I made a note because I certainly wanted to circle back on it. I was remiss for not talking about it last week. Last week's episode, I had so many different things on the agenda. I completely forgot to mention that Philip Heedle had signed a four-year extension with the Rangers. So I want to take some time to 
circle back on that now. It was NYRS underscore Rangers who reminded me that I didn't talk about that at all on last week's episode. And so here, let's have a little chat about it. The Rangers give Philip Heedle a four-year contract extension worth $17.75 million overall. It's like $4.4 million per season, roughly. And I think that is a pattern that we've seen with the Rangers and some of their young players who they feel like have upside and they sort of take the risk on maybe paying them a little bit more right now than they would get if they went to arbitration or if they really tried to haggle and negotiate and keep the AAV as low as possible. But if that player reaches the potential that they've shown that they have, which Heedle has very much shown this season, you can make an argument this has been a breakout season for him, then you're looking at a situation where that deal could look really good in a couple of years. Case in point, Igor Shesterkin. The Rangers got him for five point something million dollars. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but I know it's in the fives. And at the time, it was like, okay, this guy doesn't have a whole lot of NHL experience. He's shown a lot of promise, but there's not a huge track record, at least as far as NHL level performance. But you look at it now, Shesterkin followed up that contract by winning a Vesna. So had you waited a year, had you had you made a one-year deal or a short bridge deal and waited to then negotiate in another year or two, well, you would have been looking at a lot more than five or so million dollars per season. You would have been looking at eight, nine, ten million dollars per season. So now the contract that they gave Igor is an absolute bargain. And I think that's sort of the same strategy that we're seeing here with Hedl. I was told by a source that had they gone to arbitration with Hedl, that the expectation was the number would have began around four. So again, maybe they could have saved a few hundred thousand dollars on the AAV for next season had they tried to drive that hard line in the sand and, and made this a contentious thing going into the summer. But giving him a few extra hundred thousand now, knowing that it could maybe pay off for you in year two, three, and four of the deal, or even next year of the deal, I think that's certainly a risk worth taking for the Rangers, and Heedle's earned it. He's had a great season for them as far as stepping up his production. He has 22 goals, 45 points. Those are both easily career highs for him, and, and you could look at some of these hot streaks that he's had and then some of the cold streaks that he's had. I think there's been situations where it feels like he could have had even more goals than where he's sitting at right now. But you look around the rest of the NHL, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a third-line center who brings as much to the table and has as much upside as Philip Heedle. So locking him in as your third-line center for the next four seasons is a pretty big get for the Rangers. It's going to make things a little bit tricky now heading into next season. The Rangers are going to be really, really tight on salary cap space next season. After next season... Things could get a little bit better for them, but next year it's going to be tight. And we know that they still have to negotiate with both Keandre Miller and Alexis Lafreniere, who remain their two big RFAs that are going to need new contracts. And at least the early indications that I've heard are that 
I don't think negotiations are going to be quite as easy with Miller as they appear to be with Heedle. Now, I fully expect Miller to be here next season, but I think that he's going to try to maximize his value in this moment, which he has every right to do and he should do. But what is his next contract going to look like? Is it going to be $4 million a year? Is it going to be $4.5 million a year? Is it going to push close to $5 million a year? I think his next contract, these playoffs, will certainly influence what that looks like. If he has a really good playoff run, that number is certainly going to rise. If the Rangers go out early, or if he's not so great in the playoffs, then that would be something that the Rangers can push back on and maybe get that number lowered a little bit. Obviously, at this point, I don't think they're locking him up to an extension before the summer, so that negotiation will bleed into the summer. But Miller is going to be a pretty big number, we think. Lafreniere, what's his number going to look like? I certainly think it's going to be more than what Capo Caco got last summer, where Caco got two point. I believe it was $1 million, and I know Heedle's initial bridge deal was $2.3 million per season. I think Lafreniere is going to be higher than that. I think you're going to be looking at at least two and a half, maybe closer to three. He's had a strong second half as well. When you look at post-All-Star break for him, he had that slump in December and January, but I think he's been really a pretty solid player for the Rangers in the last couple months. And again, he's a guy who could boost his value in the playoffs. So the Rangers are in a situation now where they've got 14 players who are currently on the roster under contract for next season with only about $12.3 million or so remaining in cap space. So if Miller and Lafreniere, let's say, eat up seven or eight million of that 12.3, you know, that's not a whole lot of cap space left to fill the remaining spots. If the Rangers want to do more than just entry-level contract guys and veteran minimum kind of guys to fill out the rest of their roster next year, they might have to think about moving somebody. And I've told you guys before that what I've heard whispers about, not necessarily from Ranger sources, but I think more people in the league wondering if the Rangers are backed into a corner and they have to make some kind of a move, could Barclay Gaudreau be a guy who's vulnerable? I don't know. Uh, that's certainly something we'll talk more about after the playoffs. I don't want to get too bogged down in that right now. But the other alternative is that the rest of the roster beyond Miller and Lafreniere, so the final, let's say, five or six spots or even seven spots on this roster, you're only going to have five, maybe $6 million to play with to fill those final spots. So again, it's going to be really, really tight, and the Rangers might have to make some difficult decisions, but that's a conversation we'll save more for the offseason. The main point right now is that I think this Heedle deal is a really good deal for the Rangers. I think it's a good deal for Heedle. Obviously, he's almost doubling his salary, and he's staying in a place where he's made it very clear that he wants to stay. Had he gone the bridge deal route or had he gone the one-year arbitration route, then Maybe he could have made a little bit more in free agency in another year or two. I think two years he would have been a free agent. But he's happy. He's taking the contract. He's taking the raise where it is right now. And it, it really solidifies the Rangers down the middle at the center position for the next four years with Zabanajad, the team MVP, Trocek, who we just talked about, has had a really nice first season in New York, and Hedl, who looks like an emerging guy. Maybe not an emerging star, 
But this is a guy who gave you 22 goals this season. I could very much envision him becoming a 30-goal scorer in future years. I think his all-around game is getting better. His speed is a huge asset. And to have that guy locked in as your third-line center, that is an envious position. And again, you look around the rest of the NHL, I don't think you're going to find many third-line centers who are as talented as Heedle. So with that, that will do it for this week's episode. Thank you once again to Dan Rosen. Thank you once again to everybody who submitted questions. And big, big thank you to Liam Maroney, who submitted this intro track that you heard at the beginning and you're about to hear right now. We'll be back again next week. We'll be in the midst of a playoff series for our next episode. Will it be Carolina? Will it be Jersey? We will find out very soon. Either way, it's going to be fun. I'm super excited to get rolling and... We'll be talking playoffs for sure next week, and we'll see what kind of position the Rangers are in. Until then, everybody take care, and I'll talk.